Hey, Tyler. I'm really excited to talk to you again today. It's been a month. Gosh, it's been a while. It's been like two months. Two months. Still waiting to hear back on a couple of people. I've gotten... Yeah, I'm interested from three professors, former professors, and I didn't want to bug them during the holidays. Holidays. I get that. Yeah, but... Holidays are almost over. Yes. It's been a good holidays, but the day I was like, it's... I'm less productive, which is obviously fine during a holiday to be less productive, taking a break. But when I don't have the impetus to get up out of bed early in the morning, like I usually do, I tend to sleep in and then that makes me feel yucky. So I need to be better at being self-motivated rather just motivated because of work to get out of bed. <laughs> yeah. When you're in flow and you can get, if you can get into flow, at yeah, work, yeah. It doesn't feel great to not be in flow, especially when you're just bouncing around between fixing this or getting food for your kids or wrapping Mm -hmm. gifts or just, it's not like it's bad, but at the same time, it's good to, it's good to have a break, even from work and find a new flow, maybe flow. It's good. Regular life. Yeah. I was thinking about that. In my family, we like to do the staycations. I think most people like to do that for Christmas where we'll stay at home. I was thinking that if you only ever traveled during your holidays, I think you miss out on what life is like if you don't have to work. If you're not working, you're just being at home and just relaxing. It's a different pace and it's good to come feel that sometimes. Like, oh yeah, this is nice. Yeah. Not something I could do every day, that's for sure. I got the Shelby Foot series of the Civil War for Christmas. Are you real like Civil War buff? Do you enjoy no, that? I wouldn't no. say I'm a Civil War buff at all, but you're going to be oh yeah look how big this thing is oh wow those are those are chunkers that'd be really cool man yeah Uh, some more a a southerner mr shelby yeah that'll be that'd be interesting to get that perspective on it i think civil war is such an interesting topic but not one that i have really studied a whole lot in i'm excited i've heard nothing but good things about this series and Maybe I'll get to it next year when I finish reading all the other things I already had on my list. But um, I got Philosophical Fragments and Johannes Climacus for Christmas. I'm excited to start reading that. That's the book that talks about Kierkegaard. Is it by him? It's by Kierkegaard, yeah. So, in, and this is just from my instructional reading of the front and the back and stuff. Philosophical Fragments is discussing modern and Greek philosophy. And in the context of Christian thought, when I say modern, modern to him, so Hegelian philosophy. And then in Johannes Climacus, he talks about doubt and how doubt is like the foundational, Rene Descartes and all that. That's the foundation of modern philosophy. And he rejects it is from what the summary seems to indicate on the back of the book. That's exciting. Cool. But I guess the people don't want to hear about our Christmas but I've never catered to popular opinion. You're right. Let's talk about, as a bit of a background, on November 28th, you wrote an article on your blog called On Our Duties. And I read it right away, of course. And I thought it was worthwhile to talk about because I don't know how fashionable the word duty is nowadays. And that's maybe part of your point. But yeah, you didn't write about gratitude or turkey or pumpkin pie chose to write about duty 
what led you to write about duty? That is a good question. I work with young men in my church and I've just been thinking a lot more about the duties of man. What does it mean to be a man? Right. And then what are the duties that you have in that? Right. And I'm trying to instill those into the boys that I work with. And it was just one of those things where I feel like there's been, like you said, a kind of a degradation of the word duty. It's not that people per se aren't, I think there are, I'm not going to try to classify all the ways people view duty, but I think for the most part, people aren't anti the idea of people having duties. Like we look at the military and like duty is a big aspect of military, right? Yeah. And, or policemen, right? We say, okay, they have this kind of duty. And so we, we see that and I don't think people have any qualms about that. Most people, I think there are some people, obviously takes all sorts, but most people are like, okay with that. But I think when it comes to individuals going about their life, you think, okay, most people have those duties because they joined the military. They became a policeman. They became a fireman. Those are their duties. And obviously like a lot of times it comes with those kind of civic things, duties often seen as something that you're expected to do almost as maybe a sacrifice kind of thing where you're freely accepting something, an additional responsibility, right? Like an optional um, thing. Yeah, an optional, but that for most people, you don't have this imposition of duty. And I, I've seen that and I fell into that thinking for a long time where it was like, yeah, as a free person and a free being, I have free will and I live in a free country and I have freedom and the, all this freedom should then mean I'm free from these obligations, right? And you can't impose on me. People can't impose duties on me without me freely accepting them. And that's the nexus of what I start to get at and think about. Is that true? Is that actually true? And I don't think that's true. I don't think that just because you're free doesn't mean that you don't have responsibilities. And I think that everyone by mere existence has duty and responsibilities. And I think that if going through it, it's, it seems to me quite obvious, <laughs> but I'm sure that some people would disagree. Yeah, you describe it as like breathing, drawing yeah, air in and it's, out. It's not a contract we made ever, but it's something we still, we aren't free to not do. Unless we're yes to ourselves or something. You're not free. You're yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're not free to not breathe unless you choose to not live anymore. In the same sense, a very similar sense of you're not, you're free to make your choose your choices, but you're not free to choose the consequences, right? You're free to choose any one thing. But as soon as you start adding compliments to it, I want this and that. That's where you're not free. Like you can say, I'm free to jump off a cliff. You're not free to jump off a cliff and survive. Right. Like right. you could, there's these either ors you can pick, you can only pick one. You can't pick both. That, that's the concept I think that reaches really deep in, in a lot of things. And yeah, you're free to, but there is the sense that when you get back to breathing, you are free to choose not to breathe, but you're not free to choose not to breathe and live. In the same sense, you are free to choose not to follow your duty, but you're not free from the obligations of those duties. It has an existence separate from your will. 
sounds like. Exactly. Yes. Yes, very much. Just as the need to breathe exists apart from your will. It's, it, you need to breathe. You can, and you can't choose to not need it. That makes sense. Yeah. It's not a perfect analogy. You also said that in common law, this isn't exactly the case. For example, in yeah, common law, we can't allow people to contracts that they did not freely enter into. Is that right? Yeah. A person can't come and sue me for not fulfilling a job that I never consented to doing. You have to consent to then be able to be responsible for these things. And so then I think that it, a lot of people draw the converse maybe of it, where it's therefore the only times that you are responsible for things are things you consented to, but that's not logically valid. And I don't think it follows. Like you are respond like there are responsibilities. It's just that we live with a legal system that says you're free to choose not to follow those responsibilities or not, but that doesn't negate the fact that you have those responsibilities. And I can get into this idea of justice that would be unjust to impose an obligation on someone if they didn't freely accept that and say that someone has an obligation if they didn't enter into it. But to believe in justice means that you have to believe that there is right and wrong because justice for, there's a lot of definitions, but the one I like to go with is people getting what they deserve, right? Good for good, bad for bad. That would be what's just. And if to, in order to believe that, in order to believe someone getting what they deserve, you have to have a belief in then good and evil, right, and wrong. And if there's right and wrong, then you believe that people ought to do what's right. And you believe that people ought to do what's wrong or ought not to do what's wrong in them. If that's the case, then your belief in justice indicates that people should do the right thing. And so you're imposing this obligation on people that they should do the right thing. And so either you have to then get rid of the idea of justice, that there, there is no justice to combat that. Or you have to get rid of the idea that you don't have moral obligations that you don't freely enter into. I choose to believe in justice and therefore people have an obligation to do what's right and not do what's wrong. So the idea of justice, it defends you both ways, whether mm -hmm. you do your duty or whether you don't want to be forced into something that you didn't oblige yourself to. Justice stands there. Yes. It's the source or... Not maybe not the source, but it's the principle behind both of those things. Yeah, so, and that seems contradictory. But. Yeah. You also talk about how it exists regardless of human recognition. Yeah. The first thought would be like, I can believe in justice, but that doesn't mean everyone has to believe it. Everyone has to believe the same thing. And that's not a absolute moral belief. That's just your preferences, right? If you're saying that, morality is relative, then what you're really saying is morality is what I like, what I see as moral is what I want. And what other people want is what they see as moral. That's not a moral system. It's just your preferences pretending to be impartial. And so either you believe that, in which case you don't really believe in justice, you just believe in what you want, or you have to believe that there exists justice outside of human recognition and like knowledge prior it, to right? it 
Yeah, prior to like, it's its own thing. Justice, right and wrong morality are not just true. They exist apart from human knowledge of it and human acceptance of it, which is a very absolutist view on morality. People disagree on that and that's fair. People do disagree, but that doesn't mean that there's not, that there isn't some truth. People can disagree about lots of things. It doesn't mean that therefore nothing is true. <laughs> I will agree with you on that one. Yeah. The existing regardless of human recognition, that to me contained a lot, meaning that it is like you were saying, it's objective. It's not purely subjective. We ascertain it or come to learn it subjectively. I've learned that subjective isn't necessarily a pejorative kind of word. Oh, that's just subjective. We're subjects. We have mm -hmm. value as subject beings, but there is something objective that we can learn to recognize that we can become educated in. And that is prior to our knowing it. Like four plus four was eight before we learned that was true. There are things that just are before we decide that we are okay with it. That sounds yeah. right. Yeah. It's like, you don't have to consent to these duties to still be under the obligation to fulfill them. But I think what people don't like about that is that they say, wait, I, I'm free. I should be able to choose. You, you do, you, you can choose to accept or reject those duties. But that doesn't free you from the obligation to do that. If we believe in justice, if we believe in right and wrong, then we're obliged to do what is right. Even if we don't consent to what right is. And that's getting down into that aspect. If we, if you define justice, this is just what I like, then you're really just defining right and wrong as whatever you want and it's arbitrary. And so then you're not actually believing in any moral standard. You're saying I'm free to do whatever I want. And therefore my duties are whatever I want to do because the duties come from what's right and what's wrong. And if you define what's right and what's wrong as what you want to do, then I guess there's a circular argument of therefore my obligation is to do whatever I want, <laughs> but that seems very self-serving and yeah. It does collapse need and want into the same thing. Yeah. What I want is also what I need to do. Well, that's very convenient, but also not. It's philosophically. It's very <laughs> animal, isn't it? It's a, it's a very yeah. like Nietzschean kind of thing where he says that there is no law. There is only necessity. It's, hey, I want to eat. Therefore, I need to eat. Yeah. There's no higher level order or reasoning that can be brought to bear. It's just the necessity of the moment. And I come at this from the angle of justice, right? If you believe in justice, then you have to believe in duty. But furthermore, I've been thinking about it more. It, even if you believe in freedom, you have to believe in duty. And I think that's very, what's the word I'm thinking of? Incongruent. Yeah. To what people think about freedom. Freedom is the ability to do what you want, right? But as I think about it, if you have a responsibility that gives you the authority to accomplish that responsibility, right? So a parent has a responsibility for teaching their children and raising them. That responsibility and authority are the same. 
that responsibility gives them the authority to raise their children and teach them. Doesn't mean that they can beat their kids or things like that. That's a separate discussion about what does authority consist of, but they have the authority. They have the freedom or the authority, the power. They have the legitimate right to raise their kids because they have the responsibility to. And if you gave someone a responsibility, but then give them the authority to do something, you would be trapping them, right? You'd be like, you have to do this, but you're also not allowed to do this. And that's not right. They would be trying to draw blood from a turnip, right? You can't expect something from something that you don't allow to have. Anyways, if you have a responsibility, then you have the authority to act, right? And so as a parent has a responsibility to provide and take care and teach their children, a child has a responsibility to listen to their parents, right? And that seems, okay, that's weird. Like what authority does a child have to then submit to their parent, right? And that's their authority of themselves. They have the authority to make that choice. They have the freedom to make that choice. So our freedoms derive from our authorities over ourselves. And, but that authority then means that we have a responsibility because all authority is tied to the responsibility. And so our freedom to act implies that there must be some responsibility that we have, because if we weren't an agent, then we wouldn't be able to choose. We wouldn't have any authority to choose what we do. And if we have authority to choose what we do, then yeah, there probably wouldn't be any right or wrong because at least not in our concept of our choices, but because we're to make choices and we have choices, then there has to be responsibility to make the right choice versus the wrong choice. Hopefully that follows. Checkmate libertarians. There definitely is a limitation on freedom. It's definitely not the summum bonum. It's not the greatest yeah. good. That's not something to be completely sought after. And in order for there to be freedom, there has to be some limits to it. Freedom has to be limited to be freedom. Yeah. It's that kind of idea of that if you're, if you're utterly free to make choices, but as you make those choices, some will inhibit your freedom down the line. And so you have to then deny yourself making some choices. You have to deny your ability to make freely make some choices in order to preserve your freedom down the line. And so you have to be like, nope. I'm free to make this choice, but I refuse to just to preserve my own freedom. I've gotten into conversations with people about free will and that I think that sometimes what people get tripped up on is like, are you really free if you can't choose to be free from some malady or some problem? And it doesn't really make sense to me. I understand the argument. I just don't understand how that impinges on people's free will. The fact that I'm subject to a decaying body doesn't impinge on my ability to still make moral choices. When I think of free will, I'm thinking about moral choices. And if the idea is that you could only be free in a world that was perfect, anyways, it just doesn't make sense to me. I agree. I think it's a qualitative reality, not a quantitative reality. Like pain. Yeah. I was at the doctors recently for my broken toe, but also Gemma being born and I wanted to ask the nurse, and I forgot, but I wanted to ask her, is there a way to measure pain? As far as I can tell, it's those smiley faces, those 10 smiley faces from the 
really happy to the really upset. Just yeah. one and circle it. We have to take a qualitative experience and put it into a quantitative just so we can track it in data. You know, but other than that, I'm pretty sure pain is pretty real for humans. Yeah, it's like pain <laughs> but, is real, but there's no objective of this is how much pain this person feels because it's subjective. My daughter was crying bloody murder because the other one threw a plastic Barbie hairbrush at her head. And like, at first I thought like they had thrown like a real giant hairbrush and then they showed me what they threw as I mean, part of that's drama, but also when you're so young, you don't have any perspective. And as you get older, your pain perspective is going to change. You also said there are times where well-meaning people attempt to help others, but that interferes with their duties. And what can we do? What would you say? What's the best way to not interfere with duty? I think that's a huge part of any human interaction. How do we help people do their duty, do the right thing, do what they're supposed to without taking it away from them. So the example I think I use is, no, oh, wait, no. It was shoveling. I think Shoveling was... snow, yes. So I said, hey, we should have the young men because I was just trying to find something for them to do. And when I was a kid, we did it. We would shovel snow for widows in our neighborhood. And I was talking with my church leader. He said, we've already have men with their sons assigned. It shouldn't be something that's exclusive to just the young men. Like we've identified the widows and the old families, elderly, and they have people assigned. So while it's a good idea, there's already people who have that duty. And so just taking it away from them doesn't help them because you can only grow through adversity and through strength. It's the same principle as your muscles. Your muscles can't grow if you never exercise them. And you, in exercising them, isn't, oh, I do my daily, like my normal routine. It's like, you have to put them under some kind of strain, right? And human growth likewise has to go through some kind of strain. And so by, even though we're trying to be like good meaning, right? Oh, I'm trying to help them by taking it away or away from them. You're, you're eliminating their ability to do their duty. And I think that there's a line to be drawn there between a duty and a burden, right? You should help other people's burdens. That's it. But a burden isn't necessarily someone's duty. It's a hardship, right? And that's okay. You can help people through their hardships, but without taking away their duty to do things for themselves. It could include the potential that they fail in their duty too. Yeah. And I wrote this down and I do not remember how fiery it was. It's about pragmatism in the sense that if we're being pragmatic, right, it's good enough that the thing gets done. This is getting into the second level of when you take people's duties away from them, where it's just more important that thing gets done. And it's like, okay, but now you're like not even caring about the person at hand. You're just caring about the outcome. And That's a big point. Yeah. They are now a means. Yeah, and it's like, like, we just care about the outcome and we don't care that the person executed the outcome. This is the mother who writes a paper for the child. You're getting the outcome that their homework was done, but you're not caring about the child. And you're, in a sense, damning them because now they have not progressed. Now they haven't learned. 
Right. The argument is, oh, but I do care about them. I want them. Yeah. And so it's a malignant form of love, right? It's, it's, and that's what I was saying is that there are means it's okay to be pragmatic in a sense of if someone's doing their duty, right? Someone's failing to live up to their duty. It is okay to be pragmatic in the progress of helping them get to the point that they can do to be. I'm going to help you here. I'm going to help you here. But if the objective just becomes the duty was executed, but not executed by the person whose duty it was, then you're actually harming that person, right? At some point, they have to make the choice themselves, right? Well, at some point it comes down to their agency and they have to choose whether they want to execute the duty or not, right? And they have to choose whether they want to do what's right or wrong. And it's not, in my belief, and I think a lot of people are going to be upset, I don't think that God is going to care so much about the outcomes. I think there are cases where outcomes matter, right? I know a lot of people are going to go, oh, Tyler, the path to hell is paved with good intentions. It's not just about your intentions. It's about whether or not you were trying, whether or not you chose to do the right thing. Not as much as whether or not you chose to do the right thing and then great things happened. <laughs> it's, it's the effort that you put into it. Yeah. And if you take that ability away from someone, then you are not helping them in the grand scheme of things because then you're taking away their freedom to choose. You're kind of truncating their whole telos in a sense. There, that's if this is a plant that's meant to grow on a trellis, and you take away the trellis, it's never going to reach its full maturity. You've taken away the apparatus yeah. whereby it can mature and grow and develop. And, and that growing takes a lot of exertion and energy. And it has to struggle against the weeds and things. And it's a plant, so it doesn't make choices. So we weed for it and things like that. But let's say, yeah, it wasn't the best (laughs) metaphor. But I I think it's good, right? Like it's a, it's still, there's still struggle. All life has to struggle. And that's not a bad thing. And that's a philosophical statement right there. You're right. Like it's, I 100% agree. It's, there's good suffering and then, there's bad suffering. There's the suffering of the climbing, and then there's the suffering of languishing and confusion and yes, in inaction. Exactly. So just to bring it back to what you were talking about, and then a follow-up question. So duty exists because there are moral and ethical facts. Yes. And duty follows from justice, and justice follows from there being a good and bad, a right and wrong. Because there's a right and wrong, we can administer right and wrong. And because there's justice, we can ward off injustice, like having someone dragged into a commitment they didn't make and also being held accountable to ones that they did. And so my question is, how do we know what our duties are? For example, in the 10 commandments, there's honor thy father and thy mother. So that tells me we have an imperative, like a duty to honor, respect our parents. But do we have a so we have a duty to respect our parents. Do we also have a duty to have dinner with them twice a month? How do we know what is called a duty is truly good or just made up by someone that just wants us to do what they want? Do what they want. Yeah, Ooh, that is a good question. You're calling me out here because I just, I just talked about how important it is to do duty, but that's where the rubber hits the road. I might have used all my cliches for today, but. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I didn't pay for the premium, you know, <laughs> limited for cliches. Sorry. I know cliches are 
digressing here. Cliches are so bad, but everyone knows what they mean. I'm not original enough to come up with other things. You're the harshest on cliches more than anyone I've ever known. You point them out to me and it just makes me so frustrated. <laughs> Sorry. How much I depend on them. It's, it's, I think about them all the time. I use cliches all the time. And then I, I know that writers hate them. I'm like, no, I'm not that good at it. Anyways. Um, road, you said. Yeah. So is that, that's where we, we hit the philosophical and we hit the pragmatic. And that's where life is, right? That's where living is. We have these high level ideas and beliefs and understandings, but until we can practically apply them, they don't mean anything. And yeah, I think what I believe is that there's several ways to learn about your duties. An important aspect is teaching and rearing kids, teaching them to fulfill those duties. Tell the truth, be honest, these things. But I think at the end of it, if there's truth, right, and you believe in God, then at some point, the basics have to be, right, revealed through a revelation. Theophany. Theophanies, yeah. The theophany of, like you said, the Ten Commandments. These are things that just have to be given to us from God or the transcendent or something. That's my personal belief. He didn't give reasons. They're just imperatives. Do this. Don't do this. Thou shalt not do this. Thou shalt mm -hmm. not because of this case study or this reasoning. Yeah. And I think that gets down to the way talked about this the other day with you and it's gonna be the topic of my next blog piece but let's take an example when i first learned programming i wanted to write good programs i wanted to write good code and so i would look at these things i read a book i read i had a book called clean code and it just had a lot of information in it but as i was taking it it was just a lot of for me it was just a lot of like, do this don't do this don't do this and so i would start doing that right like commenting okay write comments that are useful. Don't write lots of comments. Just okay, baby, baby. These rules, right, were there. I didn't understand the principles of them until I gained experience. And that's the thing is that I think you can't understand principles without experience. Aristotle would agree. Right? You have to have some experience to get to understand the principles. And so in a sense, there has to be a bootstrapping up. But you can't get the experience with the principles without being taught how to try to apply them, right? And so it says, you bootstrap people by saying, do this, don't do this, don't do this. And as you apply those, you start learning the nuances. And then so you can go back and be like, oh, I'm getting better at the principle that's being taught, right? And so you have the 10 commandments and further on the law of Moses, all that. And then you get Jesus who says, love your neighbor, love God. That's what, that's all the law is saying, right? It was the principle, but we have to start with these basics. So go to the starting points to get an idea. Yeah. Go to the starting points, but the starting points, like we were talking about, can't be the end. It's right. It has to be progression. We want ends. We want endings, right? We want it complete. Like the view of perfection we have is completeness. And I think that's flawed. I don't know what I would say about it, but I think that there's this idea of completeness in the sense that termination, right? Like a terminal thing. Like I've done my duty, bam, it's done. Discharged. Yeah. Right. Like I've 
I flip the switch and now there's no more needing of the flipping of the switch, whereas, but it's a continuous thing. It's, I have to continually hold the throttle at the right spot. It's not that I have to set it right. I have to continually hold the gas pedal down or else you'll start slowing down. Yeah. You, at least on older ships, the metaphorical, you constantly needed to mine the rudder, the navigation, the sails. Yeah. It, it wasn't just like one and done. Yeah. Yeah. That is a much more accurate idea of duty, of fulfilling your duty is not that you're completing it. So a good starting point would be to look at those axioms that we see in like the yeah. 10 commandments or just like the basic kindergarten rules. If you're not a religious yeah. person, just be yeah. nice to people. And I know, yeah, I'm trying to be, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to be, I don't know what's the word now, big tent about it, but at the same time, not hide what I believe about these things. So feel free to come at it from a different angle. Yeah. It's been really fun to read your take on it. And I really loved how you were able to show that having duties ties back to an objective value, something that, that marks your position, have a position relative to it. It's not relative to you. you and I think as personally, right? Like what's freedom? If you aren't free to pursue something, right? If you're not free to, if you don't have some, like you said, an objective, right? What is freedom if there's nothing to achieve? And for me, at least knowing that you have a duty gives a lot of good drive in life. It's like, oh yeah, there's this thing that I need to work towards, right? And become not just that, oh, I've got this as freedom, but what do I do with it? It's like giving a person a million bucks who doesn't know what am I going to do with it? Rather, if you gave a person a million bucks and said, go and do this thing with it, they're like, it's constricting, but also helps give like a bunch of opportunities of like, oh, unless you like exactly spell out what they got to do, you know, that you say, Hey, go and do good with this money. Okay. Now they got to object. I just finished reading Les Miserables on Christmas night. And it reminds me of, have you, are you, I can't remember. Are you familiar with the story or the, you I'm are, yeah, I know you know the music. I love the music. I love the plays. I've not read the book because I'm afraid of books that are that big. Yeah. It's a huge book, but I've been repaid many times over for my efforts. But yeah, that was the, that's what the bishop told him. The bishop of Dignia said, take this and go and make yourself something. Become an honest man. Yeah. And uh, it gave his whole life meaning and purpose. That's like the big thing that people are looking for is meaning and purpose in life. We all have a life, but do we all have meaning and purpose? Anyways. Yeah. With, yeah, with freedom, with the freedom to do whatever, it's like a box of emptiness. It's a box of nothing. Well, great, great. Like you said, thanks a lot. I'm free, but how do I know what's the most valuable? And so we don't really have a good standard off of which to make those judgments to say, this is worthwhile. This is a big soapbox. But yeah, it's that Y axis. You remember that? The yeah, Explain so, it for the viewers. And by viewers, I mean listeners. The viewers, the listeners. If you think of a simple two-dimensional XY graph, X is power. So further out on the X axis you go, the more power you have. And power meaning the ability to work your will, to get what you want, to influence, to make stuff happen, to do things to people. The Y axis is the moral axis. So X is might and Y would be right. 
So they're orthogonal, meaning they're completely independent of each other. So your position on the power scale has no bearing on your position on the Y scale, or on the right scale. And so anyway, I was thinking about it in those terms, and I was thinking justice, as you were talking about in your article, justice is like the manifestation of the Y-axis in our lives. It's the presence of it. Because without the Y-axis, if that gets collapsed down, all there is is power. It's just power. There is no justice. If you win, you win. There's nothing else that can be said. If yeah. you take it, it's yours. There's no yep. right or wrong to stop you. So justice is unintelligible as a concept and in practice and with it, duty, all of that. If there's only the x-axis, there's only power or pleasure or something else besides an objective. So that's what I was realizing is why is an objective, meaning it stands apart, like we were saying, stands, it's prior to our recognition of it and absolute in terms of its application to us, then power truly is subjective, isn't it? And the word itself, sub meaning under, inject means throw. You're literally mm -hmm. thrown under. You're at the mercy of the power of other people, including yeah. yourself. And if we care about justice, so, and I guess this is why I bring it back up. Even if you're not a religious person or think of yourself as a deist even, but you care about justice, it's worth thinking about, okay, where does that come from? And if it is relative, then it's really not orthogonal to power. It's really just luck. The only thing that can intersect that axis would be a different dimension, an orthogonal. And this is me being all weird, talking about morality in geometric terms. Hey. That may confuse it, but for some reason that... <laughs> For some reason, that helps me understand it. Oh, it's a new dimension. It's intersecting and saying, no, that doesn't fly. I love that. And I've talked to you about it after you explained it to me because I've seen other things where it's like, yeah, this is exactly what Nate's talking about. Like power, like you said, has to be orthogonal to it. Otherwise, it is subject to the power, right? And it gets back to that orthogonality has to derive from it being objective and independent of human power or any power, right? Like it's right because it's right. It's wrong because it's wrong. Because if it's not, then this is right because in the end, it's what I want. And yeah. it's Or who got me. there first. Yeah. Yeah. And, what's, and that's where we're just delving into preferences and abilities, right? Yeah. And that's quite a thing to say, to say that we should or should not do something. Again, that points to our duty, like you're yeah. saying. We should not steal. We should not lie. We mm -hmm. should not kill. Of course, I'm not going to do that. But are you not going to do that just because you're afraid of power interfering with your pleasure-seeking life, basically yeah. being taken to prison by police? Or are you, listen to me, rattle off these alliterations. This is, mm -hmm. Or is it because you feel like it's really wrong, like truly wrong, like a sin in a way? It's, yeah, it's... It's important because I think that's a huge problem. I'm get on my soapbox here, but a big problem in society that drives a lot of discontent is that the recognition of that moral access has been degraded. People don't understand it. They don't believe it or they create their own, right? They want to do it their own way. The freedom. And, to have yeah, it the their freedom. Own way. 
Yeah. Exactly. And that, but then that, like you said, collapses down to power and then it's just a struggle for more power, more money, more ability to do whatever I want. And then that brings in the distress and despair when it becomes yeah. apparent that there's always a bigger fish and there's always someone who has more money. There's always someone who's more powerful, always someone who's going to be better. Right. And if you have only the concept of get more power means I'm better, then that is going to be despairing. Like, why wouldn't you be despaired? Why wouldn't you be depressed? But I don't want people to feel that way. And that's because I don't think that's right. There is this completely other axis. It's not that power is unimportant. It's just that this other axis is vitally important to understand to achieve happiness. Yeah. We're all aiming for happiness. We all have that as our end destination. Anyway, I, I really liked your article. Thank you. It's called On Our Duties. And if anyone who's listening wants to go and check it out, where can people read more about your stuff and find out about you? Tyler? Yeah, so they can go to my website. It's calder-ty.com. So C-A-L-D-E-R-T-Y.com. Yeah, they can read it. It's free to read other than your time. And I try to publish once a month. So something coming out very soon. Very soon, because at the end of the month, that's usually how it ends up being. That's good. Tyler, thank you so much for your time. It's been a lot of fun and a thank pleasure. Thank you. All right. Hey, enjoy the rest of the holidays, man. Thanks again for listening to the Vertical Thinking Podcast with Nathan Cheever. If you got something out of this episode, please share it with a friend or family member who you think will benefit as well. And if you'd like to learn more about vertical thinking, head over to nathancheever.com. And until next time, have a great week. Bye-bye.